Christmas will be here before you know it. So now is the time to prepare your heart with a timeless devotional written by Dr. David Jeremiah called Season of Joy. Enter the Christmas season with restored hope, resounding joy, reassuring peace, and renewed faith. This inspirational book is yours for a gift of any amount in support of Turning Point. And for a gift of $100 or more, you'll receive a four-pack to share the season of joy with others. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. Here's a question to ponder. What is the opposite of love? If you said hate, you might be surprised to learn that's not the answer Dr. David Jeremiah is looking for. Today on Turning Point, he says the opposite of love is self-centeredness. And he'll share some ways to become more selfless in order to truly love God's way. Listen as David concludes his message, Love's Power Over Selfishness. You know, I have in front of me as we begin this uh, study, a copy of our study guide. I'm so proud of these documents because I know how much they've helped people over the years. And one of the ways this can be very valuable to you is if you want to study the subject of love, if you're in a small group, here's something you can do. Get the study guides for every member of your group. They're not expensive. You can get them from Turning Point. And then get the CD package that you can also order from davidjeremiah.org. You can listen to the lessons. You can read the study guide material. You can go to your study guide as the facilitator and get everybody involved in discussing all these critical subjects. Someone in your small group needs this. Someone in your small group has got pride going on in their life or envy or rudeness or selfishness. And when they find out that the Bible has something to say about that, it's such a wonderful thing. And I hope you will take advantage of it. You can go to our website. You can order the study guides that you need, order the CD package, and plan your agenda for your next small group. I hope you'll do that. This is a great way to internalize this material. Well, friends, we're going to get started now with uh, this next edition of Turning Point. As you open your Bibles with me, let's study God's Word together and ask Him to really make it applicable to our lives, even to the point of conviction. Let's do it. I don't know if you watch pro football, but if you do, you've watched a a modern phenomenon that no one is quite able to explain. It, It is the phenomenon of the athlete who scores the touchdown, kicks the field goal, intercepts the pass or makes the game-saving tackle and goes over to the sideline and the cameras come in on him and he's full face in the camera and he always says, what? Hi, mom, right? I don't think that's fair. You know, I have never one time seen an athlete say, hi, dad. But you know why he says, hi, mom? Because in my estimation, the greatest evidence of selflessness that I have ever witnessed, I have witnessed in the life of my own mother and in the life of my wife. I believe that motherhood is the greatest call to selfless living that there ever has been. And you know, it sometimes is without reward. I'm sure some of you mothers will identify with this. You know, I have watched and I have participated and sometimes I've helped and when Donna's been gone, I've had to do it all. The routine that mothers go through. 
Do you know that gets old? My life is filled with change and excitement and different adventures, lots of problems, but usually never the same one twice. But a mother washes the same dishes every day, puts them back in the closet only before she can get them all dried to see the kids walk out and get them out and get them all dirty again. The other night I took it upon myself to clean up the kitchen. I had the kitchen spotless. You know, when I clean, I clean with more enthusiasm. I get everything, I just, you know, use all of my strength to get everything exactly. And I was so proud, everything was just shining. Before I could walk out of there, a peanut butter sandwich was made on the table and it was all over the table and I just walked out and walked away. And I thought to myself, that's what my poor wife goes through every day of the week. She can never get ahead. She can never get the work done. And I suppose the most frustrating moment I have ever seen her experience as a mother was the day she was washing the dirty clothes, having asked the children to clean up their rooms, which was a very good suggestion. And so hurriedly, they had cleaned up the rooms, and when she went out to wash the clothes, I came out, and she was in tears, and I said, Honey, what's wrong? She said, Look at this. All the clean clothes that she had put in their room yesterday somehow had got mixed up with the dirty clothes, and they were back out where the wash goes. Oh. I've had some ladies tell me that is the worst moment of motherhood they have ever experienced in their whole life. It makes you want to walk out the door and never come back. And I have been guilty of that as a son, and now I have watched it as a father. Motherhood. And yet you know what they do? They just keep right on coming back over and over again to minister and to give themselves to their children. Isn't that true? That's what my mother did for me, and that's what I watched my wife do for our children. And most of you women are right there. You understand it. Selfless love. What do you get out of it? I'm not going to give you a chance to answer that. <laughs> but it's true. I cannot recall ever reading a more moving illustration of this principle in the life of a mother than the true story of John Edmund Haggai and his family. John Edmund Haggai has written some tremendous books, one on how to win over worry, which many of you have appreciated. And uh, he tells regarding the tragic birth and life of his son. And I just want to share it with you because it illustrates the principle of selfless love. Here's what he wrote. The Lord graciously blessed us with a precious son. He was paralyzed and able to sit in his wheelchair only with the assistance of a full-length body brace. One of the nation's most respected gynecologists and obstetricians brought him into the world. Tragically, this man, overcome by grief, sought to find the answer in a bourbon bottle rather than in a blessed Bible. Due to the doctor's intoxication at the time of delivery, he inexcusably bungled his responsibility. Several of the baby's bones were broken. His leg was pulled out at the growing center. Needless abuse resulting in hemorrhaging of the brain was inflicted upon the little fellow. This man was a tragic exception to the many good doctors that I have known, and ultimately he was banned from practice in some hospitals, and as mentioned later on, he committed suicide. During the first year of this little boy's life, eight doctors said he could not possibly survive. For the first two years of his life, my wife had to feed him every three hours with a Brecht feeder. 
It took a half hour to prepare for the feeding and it took another half hour to clean up and put him back to bed. Not once during that time did she ever get out of the house for any diversion whatsoever. Never did she get more than two hours sleep at one time. My wife, said Haggai, was formerly Christine Barker of Bristol, Virginia, and had once been acclaimed by some of the nation's leading musicians as one of the outstanding contemporary female vocalists in America. From the time that she was 13, she had been popular as a singer and constantly in the public eye. Hers was the exception of receiving and rejecting some fancy offers with even fancier incomes, and instead she married an aspiring Baptist pastor with no church to pastor. Then after five years of marriage, this tragedy struck. The whole episode was so unnecessary. Eight of the nation's leading doctors said that our son could not survive. From a life of public service, she was now marooned within the walls of our home. Her beautiful voice no longer enraptured public audiences with the story of Jesus, but was now silenced or at best muted to the subduing humming of lullabies. Had it not been from her spiritual maturity whereby she laid hold of the resources of God and lived one day at a time, this heart-rending experience would long since have caused an emotional breakdown. John Edmund, Jr., our little son, lived more than 20 years. We rejoice that he committed his heart and life to Jesus Christ and gave evidence of a genuine concern for the things of the Lord. I attribute his commitment to Jesus Christ and his wonderful disposition to the sparkling radiance of an emotionally mature, Christ-centered mother who has mastered the discipline of living one day at a time. Never have I nor has anyone else heard a word of complaint from her. The people who know her concurred that at 35 years of age and after having been subjected to more grief than many people twice her age, she possessed sparkle that would be the envy of any high school senior and the radiance and charm for which any debutante would gladly give a fortune." End of quote. Dr. Haggai said he watched his wife love selflessly and it was beautiful to see. Most of us in our families will never experience any tragedies like that, but love in the home is selfless nonetheless. Love is saying often goodbye to our own personal ambitions and desires so that we can minister to those that God has given to us. And it's that kind of love that God blesses. During this series, I have shared with you on occasion some of the special renditions of 1 Corinthians 13 that have been given to me over the years. And I thought this might be a proper time to read the love chapter for mothers and let you understand selfless love through the eyes of Paul, but interpreted by Diane Lorang, who rearranged it for mothers only. If I talk to my children about what is right and what is wrong but have not love, I am like a ringing doorbell or pots banging in the kitchen. And though I know what stages they will go through and understand their growing pains and can answer all their questions about life and believe myself to be a devoted mother but have not love, I am nothing. If I give up the fulfillment of a career to make my children's lives better and stay up all night sewing costumes or baking cookies on short notice but grumble about the lack of sleep, I have not love and accomplish nothing. A loving mother is patient with her children's immaturity and kind even when they are not. A loving mother is not jealous of her youth, nor does she hold it over their heads whenever she has sacrificed for them. A loving mother believes in her children. She hopes in each one's individual ability to stand out as a light in a dark world. 
She endures every backache and heartache to accomplish that. A loving mother never really dies. As for homemade bread, it will be consumed and forgotten. As for spotless floors, they will soon gather dust and heel marks. As for children, right now, toys, friends, and food are all important to them. But when they grow up, it will be their mother's love that they will remember and pass on to others. In that way, she will live on. So care, training, and a loving mother reside in home. These three, but the greatest of these is a loving mother. And it's true. There in the home we see illustrated for us in the most beautiful way the principle that Paul is speaking about in 1 Corinthians 13. Love does not seek its own. There's another arena where I want you to see the illustration of selfless love and I'd like to move now for a moment from the home to the area of service and ministry. I suppose that there are many illustrations that I could use to understand selfless service in leadership. But leadership, according to the Word of God, is first of all, service. Love never pushes itself into the limelight. Love does not strive for a place or position. In God's program, we stoop in order to conquer. We kneel in order to rise. The way up in God's program is always the way down. The secret is the surrendering of our will to the will of God so that His way becomes our way. Andrew Murray once wrote, Do you want to enter what people call the higher life? Then go a step lower down. And of course the Bible is filled with the illustrations of people who served through suffering. Joseph who went down into a pit so that he could one day walk into a palace. We always have to understand the importance in the Christian ministry of serving as we lead or leading by serving. But I discovered that's not only true in the Christian realm, that's true even in the secular realm. I mentioned to you that I had done some reading on the subject of excellence and I mentioned the book In Search for Excellence, but there's a sequel to that book written by Tom Peters called A Passion for Excellence, which is about three times longer and much more interesting in my estimation. But in one chapter in his book on leadership, he talks about love as an important part of being a successful leader dynamically in the world. And he cites in his book an interview in the October 1983 issue of Northwest Orient Magazine. Andre Saltner of Lutici in New York, one of the world's premier restaurants, put it this way in that article. He said, I am more than 30 years as chef. I know what I am doing, and each day I do my absolute best. I cook for you from my heart with love. It must be the same with service. The waiter must serve with love, otherwise the food is nothing. Do you see, many times I will leave my kitchen and go to the tables to take the orders myself. It starts right then and there. That feeling the customer must have is relaxation. If not, then his evening is ruined. Mine too, by the way. How can he love if he is not relaxed? People ask me all the time what secrets I have, and I tell them, there is nothing mysterious about Lutici. I put love in my cooking and love in my serving, and that is all works in the restaurant business. Here's one that's even more amazing. Even garbage. There's a man by the name of Len Stefanelli who runs the San Francisco Sunset Scavengers, the widely acclaimed model of an excellent garbage company in a giant industry. And Stefanelli loves his garbage. 
Visit Stefanelli's office. Look at the mementos, a collection of ceramic pigs and garbage cans. Listen to him. He cares. He said on one occasion, if you don't even love your product, why would you expect people to want you to help them? Love in the garbage business. And then I read about love in the sports world. It's true that even in the sports world, love is important. Vince Lombardi, coach of the Green Bay Packers, just before he died, gave an address to the American Management Association group, and he said this. He said, mental toughness is humility, simplicity, Spartanism, and one other, love. He wrote, I don't necessarily have to like my associates, but as a man I must love them. For love is loyalty, love is teamwork, love respects the dignity of the individual, heart power is the strength of your corporation, end of quote. Isn't that something? Here's Paul telling us that the secret to all of life is love. And here are the people out in the world who don't even understand the principles of the Word of God. They're grasping for those truths. They get close. They can never get to the center, but they grab for them because they see there's something there that makes a difference. Love in the military. I read recently part of a, an address that was given by General Melvin Zeiss, U.S. Army's Blood and Guts 101st Airborne. Here's what he said to people who ask him how he made it to the top. He said, I will stop providing you with pearls of wisdom and I will elaborate on one. The one piece of advice which I believe will contribute more to making you a better leader and a commander will provide you with greater happiness and self-esteem and at the same time advance your career more than any other advice which I can provide you. And it doesn't call for just a special commodity and it doesn't call for any certain chemistry. Any one of you can do it and that advice is that you must care. You must love. How do you know if you care, he wrote. Well, for one thing, if you care, you listen to your junior officers and your soldiers. Now, when I say listen, I don't mean that stilted baloney that so many officers engage in and stand up to an enlisted man and say, how old are you, son? Where are you from? How long have you been here? Thank you very much. Next man, that's baloney. That's form. That's pose. I can remember he wrote when I asked my son when he was a cadet at West Point how he liked his regimental commander and he paused a while and with that clean-cut incisiveness that most midshipmen and cadets evaluate people, he said to me, he plays the role. Wow, that was damning. He plays the role. And I noticed this officer in later life and he postured a great deal. And he always stood with his knees bent back and he always turned one toe out. And he always wore special little things around his collar. And you know, he always turned sideways. And I knew what he meant when he said he plays the role. He said, I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I'm talking about listening. Listening. Because the little soldier won't come out and tell you that everything's all wrong. He'll be a little hesitant. If you ask him if he's getting along all right and he's just shrugs, he's getting along lousy. If he's not enthusiastic in his response, there's something wrong. And you better dig a little deeper if you care. To care, you must listen. You care if you listen to him, to your soldier. You really listen to him. If you care, you really wonder what he's doing in his off-duty activities. When you're about to tee off on Saturday afternoon, when you're at the club at happy hour, if you're wondering if there's a little creeping, nagging in the back of your head, I wonder, I wonder what the soldiers are doing. Do you do that? What are the airmen doing? What are the sailors doing? Where do they go? 
You care if you go in the mess hall, and I don't mean go in with white gloves and rub dishes and pots and pans and find dust. You care if you go in the mess hall and you notice that the scrambled eggs are in a puddle of water and 20 pounds of toast has been done in advance and it's all lying there hard and cold. And the bacon is lying there dripping in the grease and the cooks got all their work done way ahead of time and the cold pots of coffee are sitting on the tables getting even colder. If that really bothers you, if it really gripes you, if you want to tear up those cooks, you care. It's the little things, he said, that you notice because selflessly you look around because the people that work for you make a difference. And then he ended, he said, I can't make you do this, but you, you really need to like soldiers. You need to be amused at their humor. You need to be tolerant at their bodiness. You need to understand that they're as lousy as you let them be and as good as you make them. You just have to really like them and feel good about being with them. Here's a general. <laughs> Of all the places to find selfless love, the world's imitation of it, I know, but the best they have to offer, and unfortunately a lot better than it often is even within the church, a love that cares, that goes out of one's own way to find what it can do to minister. Love in the kitchen, love in the football field, love at a garbage factory, love in the military. Most of all, love in your heart. Love that is selfless. Love that does not seek its own. There's one thing I can tell you about selfless love. If you ever get close to it, you will know it because it feels so very good. You won't have to tell anybody about it, and if you do, you might lose it in the process. But if you experience it, you will know the joy of it. The story is told of a chauffeur who drove up to a cemetery and asked the minister who served as caretaker to come to the car because his employer was too ill to walk. Waiting in the car was a frail old lady with sunken eyes that showed years of hurt and anguish. She introduced herself and she said that she'd been sending five dollars to the cemetery for the past several years to be used for flowers on her husband's grave. I have come in person today, she said, because the doctors have given me only a few weeks to live and I wanted to see the grave for one last time. The minister replied, you know, I'm sorry you've been sending money for those flowers. And the woman was taken aback. She said, what do you mean? Well, he said, I happen to be part of a visiting society that visits patients in hospitals and mental institutions. They dearly love flowers. They can see them and they can smell them. Flowers are therapy for them because they are living people. Saying nothing, she motioned the chauffeur to leave. And some months later, the minister was surprised to see the same car drive up. But this time, the woman herself was at the wheel. And uh, she said, you know, when I was here the last time, sir, I was resentful at what you said to me. When I came here for my last visit, I hated you when I left. But as I thought about it, I decided you were right. Now I personally take the flowers to the hospitals. It does make the patients happy, and it makes me happy too. The doctors can't figure out what made me well, but I know I now have someone else to live for. Do you have someone to live for? Are you investing your life in selfless love, in your family, in the people around you, in the people who look to you for guidance and leadership? The world is crying out 
in the midst of the cheap substitution of self-centered love for some divine embodiment of what it means to love without regard to oneself. Mm -hmm. Wow. You know, um, it's a wonderful thing to be a teacher of the Word of God, and especially if you get to record what you've written and studied, because even years later you hear it, and sometimes you can hear yourself preach, and it can be a blessing to your own life. You can get blessed by your own preaching. Did you know that? Uh, if you do it long enough. Now, I'm not saying that always happens, but once in a while it does. I was at home the other day and was really anxious to watch uh, one of the early telecasts that we now have on um, Lifetime, which is at 5.30 in the morning. So I got up real early and went down and sat in my chair and turned on the TV, and I was teaching on Elijah. And uh, I don't know how it happened, but that particular lesson, I'd forgotten that I'd taught it, and it was so important to me. It helped me so much that day. And uh, I, I don't take that as an accident. I think God knows that. He can even use ourselves to help ourselves. Isn't that interesting? And the Word of God is that kind of a truth because it's evergreen. It's always fresh, always new, and always powerful. Well, um, I hope that you will join us tomorrow as we finish out the week together because tomorrow we're going to talk about love's power over anger. We live in an angry world. Did you know that? But Christians don't have to be that way. We'll tell you why tomorrow right here on This Good Station. Today's message came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. How is God blessing you through Turning Point? Let us know by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Sawasan, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4, visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or calling 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of our 14-month calendar for 2024, focused on God's enduring faithfulness, the unchanging promises of God, yours for a gift of any amount. You can also view over 1,200 of Dr. Jeremiah's sermons on any screen anytime you like on our Turning Point Plus streaming service. For a monthly gift of any amount, visit turningpointplus.org for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Power of Love, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you're looking to enhance your personal or group Bible study, look no further than the Jeremiah Bible Study Series. In each volume, Dr. David Jeremiah helps you understand what the Bible says and how to apply it. Along the way, you will gain insights into the text, identify key themes, and be challenged to apply the truth found in Scripture to your life. Get your copy today. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca slash study. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash study. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. Have you ever considered how many times we are too quick to speak or judge, only to be embarrassed when we're proven wrong? Here's a good example. 
An executive for the Decca Recording Company decided not to offer a contract to a new rock and roll band saying, we don't like their sound and guitar music is on the way out. The year was 1962 and the group the recording company turned down was a new British band called The Beatles. The Bible has a lot to say about speaking rashly, judging without the facts, being impulsive, and failing to understand the future. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's ways to become wise on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. That's Route66life.com. Route 66, start your journey home today.